0: the Holy Spirit of God. Well, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. John 16, starting in verse 4b, if yours is kind of marked out by paragraphs, it's the the paragraph mark, and then we're going to read through John 16, verse 15. This is God's Word, starting in the middle of verse 4. Jesus said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh Lord our God, I simply ask that you would fill me with your spirit and fill us with your spirit, that we might receive your word, that it might become living and active in our hearts and our minds. I pray, Lord God, spirit of truth, that you would speak the truth to us, that we might be changed. We thank you, Lord God, for the gospel The grace of God in which we stand. Lord, we are unworthy, and yet you have made us worthy through the blood of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our King. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. How many of you remember this book? All right, for those of you who are uninitiated, this is The Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle. And it was my favorite book when I was growing up. My mom and dad used to read us this book every night before we went to sleep. And when Kate and I had kids of our own, we started reading this book to our kids. And someday, Lord willing, they will have kids of their own, and they will read them the story of the hungry caterpillar. Now, in the story, the hungry caterpillar eats a lot of food, gets really, really big, (laughs) falls asleep, and wakes up as a butterfly. His whole life is transformed from the inside out. Now, what do you think the hungry caterpillar was thinking when he woke up after a long nap in a cozy cocoon only to discover that he could fly? Francis Chan, in his book, Forgotten God, writes this. As believers, we ought to experience this same kind of astonishment when the Holy Spirit enters our bodies, we should be stunned in disbelief over becoming a new creation with the Spirit living in us. As a caterpillar finds its new ability to fly, we should be thrilled over our Spirit-empowered ability to live differently and faithfully. Christ said that it is better for us that the Spirit came And I want to live like I know that's true. I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. Isn't that a great way to think about the work of the Holy Spirit? As Christians, we have been born again by the Spirit of God. Like the very first disciples who received power when the Holy Spirit came upon them, we have received power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us. As Christians, we have the ability to fly. We have the ability to change the world. We have the ability to love deeply. We have the ability to give generously. We have joy and passion and courage and strength. We can know and be known by the true and living God. And yet many of us never spread our wings. Many of us are butterflies who think we're still caterpillars. Many of us never grow, and many of us never change. Spiritually speaking, many of us are still the junior high version of ourselves, with a few more wrinkles and gray hairs mixed in. This morning, we return once again to the upper room where Jesus delivered his final words to his apostles before going to the cross. Now, two weeks ago, Jesus taught the disciples in that upper room to abide in him. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Your life will become fruitful and joyful and gospel-saturated as you abide in me. But if you don't abide in me... If you choose to live your life without me and apart from me, you'll be cut off forever. You'll wither. You'll die. You'll be gathered like dry, brittle branches thrown into the fire of God's judgment and burned. Last week, Jesus said, the world is going to hate you because of me. The world hated me, and the the world's going to hate you because of me. To be a Christian is to be both loved by God and hated by the world. If you believe in Jesus, you'll receive more hate than you ever wanted. But you'll experience more love than you could ever imagine. To borrow a line from the Apostle Paul, who is sufficient for these things? And Jesus' answer in this passage is the helper, the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Don't be afraid, John. Don't be upset, Peter. Peter. I know you have your doubts, Thomas. Trust me. I'm going to go away, but I'm never going to leave. How much different would your life be if you believed that? How much different would your life be if you believed that you could fly? When we confess the Apostles' Creed together, we confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Do we? Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? How do we receive him, and what happens when we do? Hand-raising, tongue-speaking, coat-whipping, snake-handling. Is that what the Holy Spirit is about? Is the Holy Spirit for everyone? Is the Holy Spirit for you? These are some of the questions we'll be answering this morning as we look at one of the most astonishing things that Jesus ever said. Jesus said, I know that you've been with me for three years. I know you've seen the miracles. I know you've heard my sermons. I know that you saw me raise Lazarus from the dead. And in a short matter of time, you're going to see God the Father raise me from the dead. But the people of Pinewood's church are better off than you. Because I'm going to change them from the inside out. I'm going to fill them with my Holy Spirit. Unbelievable. Amazing. Do you believe today... That you are better off than the apostles. That you are better off from the people who saw Jesus face to face. How can that be? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, I want us to ask three big questions about the helper. Three big questions about the person and work of God the Holy Spirit. First, who is he? Who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? second what does he do and third how do we receive him so who is he what does he do and how do we receive him how do caterpillars become butterflies how do sinners become saints are you ready let's take a closer look the first big question is Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, that's a big question, and Jesus gives us three answers in this passage. The first answer is, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, there's a lot there, but there's one thing I want you to point out. Did you notice all the personal pronouns? Three times in these two verses, and 12 times in the 12 verses of our passage, the Holy Spirit is referred to as either he or him personal pronouns why because the holy spirit isn't an impersonal force the holy spirit is a personal being we read in the scripture that the holy spirit prays for us that's romans 8:26 the holy spirit has his own mind that's romans chapter chapter 8 verse 27 the holy spirit can be grieved We find that in Isaiah chapter 63 and Ephesians chapter 4. The Holy Spirit has his own desires and his own will. We read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, here's why that matters. It matters because you can't have a personal relationship with an impersonal being. Nobody in Star Wars prays to the force. Right, The force just kind of exists. It's sort of nebulous. You can use it. You can say, use the force, Luke. You can't use the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses you. You can and should have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a person, a praying, thinking, willing, and desiring and helping person. Now the second thing, the second answer that the is that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Verse eight, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. Now in just a minute, we'll talk about what it means to convict the world concerning righteousness and judgment. We'll get into that. But for now, I simply want to remind you that only God can convict his people of sin. That's true because as King David noted in Psalm 51, all our sins, even the sins that we commit against one another, are ultimately sins against God. When we sin, we not only do harm to other people, which we do, but we break God's commandments. We violate god's law so when jesus says the holy spirit will convict the world concerning sin he's saying the holy spirit isn't an impersonal force he's a person but not only is he a person he's a divine person The fact that the Holy Spirit is a divine person explains why Peter uh, told a man named Ananias that when he lied to the Holy Spirit, he was, in fact, lying to God. You'll find that story in Acts chapter 5. It also explains a little detail in the story, the detail that Ananias died after lying to the Holy Spirit. Many people have lied to me over the years. And while I'm not a fan of it, you'll probably be okay in terms of your physical life, okay? Nobody ever drops dead when they lie to me. They did drop dead when they lied to the Holy Spirit because, unlike me, the Holy Spirit is God. I wasn't even nominated. The Holy Spirit is forever God, the Spirit who in Genesis hovered over the face of, of the deep the spirit who breathed life into god's creation making us living beings image bearers of our holy god according to romans romans chapter 1 romans 5 john 1 matthew 28 he's holy holiness is so central to the identity of the helper the spirit that we literally refer to him the third person of the trinity as the holy Spirit. And as Jesus remarked to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, who is good but God alone? Now, if holiness is goodness turned up to 11, then we can also say that who is holy but God alone? According to John 14 and Hebrews 9, the Holy Spirit is eternal. He is the eternal Spirit. According to Psalm 139, the Spirit is omnipresent. He's present everywhere and everywhere, all at once. The psalmist writes, where shall I go from your Spirit, and where can I hide from your presence? Answer, nowhere, because the Holy Spirit is everywhere. The Holy Spirit, according to Zechariah 4, is omnipotent. He is the all-powerful Spirit. According to 1 Corinthians 2.10, He is omniscient. He knows everything. The Apostle Paul, writing in the Spirit, writes, These things God has revealed to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Only God can hear our prayers, which is why we're told in Ephesians 6.18 to pray in the Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, we can experience the presence and the power of God himself. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is God with us. The third answer to the question, according to Jesus, is that the Holy Spirit is a unique person. So he is a person, he's a divine person, he's also a unique person. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears He will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit isn't the same person as God the Father and God the Son, He's a unique person with a unique mission. A mission to declare God's words, the words of God the Father and God the Son, to take the blessings of God, chief among them, the blessing of salvation, and to apply it to the hearts of sinful human beings. We are, in the words of Scripture, born again by the power of God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies jesus and helps us glorify him too god is one god in three persons and the holy spirit is one of those persons he is god with us now that leads us to our second big question and it's this what does the holy spirit do The Holy Spirit, being a unique divine person, has a unique role to play in our lives. The first thing we see is that the Holy Spirit helps us. He's the helper. In verse 7, Jesus calls him the helper. That's an English translation of a Greek word, the word parakletos, if you have a different translation of the Bible that you're reading today, in the NIV or the NLT, it's translated advocate. In the Old King James Version, it's translated comforter. In the CSB, it's translated counselor. And in the message, it's translated friend. Now, all of those English words are helpful translations of the Greek word parakletos. It's a compound word. The prefix is para, and the main root of the word is kletos. Para means to come alongside of, like, like a paralegal. Uh, a paralegal is not an attorney, but a paralegal comes alongside of attorneys to help attorneys do their work. We also see words like Parallel. Parallel lives or parallel dimensions or parallel lines on a piece of paper. Kletos means to call out or to speak. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, parallel to us, to speak to us. He helps us understand and apply God's word. When we're tempted to sin, he's right there saying, Don't do this. Don't hate. Don't kill. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Do this instead. Love and serve and bless. Give. Tell the truth. Sometimes we think that the little voice that we hear in our head and in our hearts is the voice of our conscience, that it is something that that comes from within us, and that's true, but it's only partially true. It comes from within us if the Holy Spirit is coming within us. Jesus says that God the Holy Spirit is our conscience. He's the helper who comes alongside us With the truth. When we're feeling discouraged, when we're feeling overwhelmed by guilt and shame and regret, the Holy Spirit speaks the truth of the gospel to our hearts and our souls. The Holy Spirit reminds us that everyone who believes in Jesus is an adopted child of God, which is why the Apostle Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. He reminds us of who we are because of who Jesus is. Now, let's make this a little bit personal, and then we'll move on. Let me try to apply this. Okay, you're here it's a Sunday morning, you are maybe taking notes, uh, you're learning how the Holy Spirit turns uh, caterpillars into butterflies or something, there was pictures, and uh, you're wondering, how does this work? It's just not real to you. It hasn't come alive for you. You know the information, but that's all it is. It's information. It's like math or or history or science. It, it's facts that you need to know, but somehow there's still a deadness in your heart. Somehow you haven't yet come alive. What do you need? Louder music. More information. Movie clips in the sermon. We haven't had one of those in a long time. Maybe we need some movie clips. No, my friends. You need more than anything else the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete, to take the information that you have in your head and apply it to your heart so that spiritual realities become ultimate realities in your life. So that it's not merely theoretical or intellectual, but it becomes the very air that you breathe. Once that happens, your life will radically change from the inside out. You can stop worrying so much You can stop worrying so much about the kind of clothes you wear or the car you drive. You can stop worrying about your trip to the hospital next week or the diagnosis you just received, your ACTs or your uh, uh, SATs or the exams, the midterms that you have coming up or the final exams you have at the end of the quarter. That stuff matters. It's important. The things that we we face in life, the challenges that we face, are very real and very important, but they're not ultimate. God's grace is ultimate. The Word of God is ultimate. The Kingdom of God is ultimate. The Spirit of God is ultimate. That's what matters. You'll never think think your way into that. (laughs) You'll never reason your way into it. You'll never white-knuckle your way into it. Well, if I just stop doing this, 30-day challenge, one-year challenge, I'll make it. I'll make it into the kingdom of God. It just doesn't work that way. In order to truly grasp spiritual realities, you need the helper, the teacher, our advocate, our friend. Now, the second thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit guides us. So he helps us as our paraclete. He also guides us. Look at verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. I read a quote this week that just hit me right between the eyes. So I thought I'd share it with you. Here it is. Your big problem in life is unreal things are real to you and real things are unreal to you. Maybe 20 years ago, a teacher said, you're stupid. Maybe 30 years ago, you ask a girl to the prom and she said, I don't think so. You're funny looking and you're weird and I would die before I'd go anywhere with you and your heart broke (laughs) right there in front of your very eyes. Five years ago, your parents told you you're lazy, you're irresponsible, you'll never amount to anything and you're stuck because you believe these things. Your critics are living rent-free in your head And they're preaching the law to you. They're saying, you'll never be good enough. You'll never be worth something in this life. There's always something in your life that's just out of reach. And meanwhile, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on the cross for you, God said, you are loved you are forgiven. You have been adopted. You have the spirit of a living God living inside of you, and that means you're strong and you're courageous, and you can be bold, and you can accomplish great things, things that are totally beyond your abilities with the help of of God's Spirit, for He is always with us and will be with us until the end of the age when Jesus, our risen Savior, returns to this earth, the earth that He created by the power of His Holy Spirit to make all things new. 3,000 years ago, God said to the prophet Jeremiah, for I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear from you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Do you believe that? Isaiah 58, verse 8: Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. Then you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Do you believe that? Do you believe the promises or do you believe the lies? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He guides us into all truth by guiding us into the light of God's glory and grace through Jesus, who is the light of the world, who stepped down into the darkness of sin and shame to rescue us to bring us into a place of peace and forgiveness and consequently great, great joy. Amen? Amen. The third thing we see is that the Holy Spirit convicts us. Verse 8. When He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in Me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see Me no longer, Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Have you ever felt convicted of sin? Maybe you said something that you instantly regret, or you did something that you instantly regret doing. It's bugging you, you can't sleep, and you can't relax, and you kind of want to make peace with the person who you've sinned against, but it's very difficult You have to repent, you have to apologize, you have to make things right, but again, it just feels out of your control. Where do those feelings of conviction come from? Where does the strength to repent and believe and restore those relationships come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. I have uh, two dogs and I will say that those two dogs are shameless. Uh, they have no conscience at all. A couple of years ago, our St. Bernard, who is in dog heaven, if such a thing exists, uh, right now, you know what she did? She ate a whole chicken, like a whole chicken, uh, off the middle of the counter in our kitchen. Uh, she was not sorry at all. Now, we were sorry because we had to take her to the vet, and it was, of course, a Sunday. And uh, so we paid the uh, extra special weekend rate uh, for the veterinarian uh, who drives a Tesla now. True story. (laughs) You're welcome. Again, she went to sleep and slept like a baby. No conscience. We have conscience because we have the Spirit. We have conviction of sin. And so when we do things that bring dishonor to the glory of God, we feel it. And if you do feel it, it is a gift of God convicting you of sin. Now, here's where it gets interesting. When we do righteous things, the Holy Spirit convicts us. Now, what does that mean? Shouldn't he commend us for doing righteous things? Shouldn't he say, well done, you've done a righteous thing, wouldn't wouldn't he want us to do those things? Well, Don Carson points out that Jesus, who is constantly alluding to and referencing and quoting the book of Isaiah, was probably referring to Isaiah 64, verse 5, where we're told that even the righteous things that we do, even the good things that we do, are like filthy rags compared to the holiness that we need in order to live in the presence of a holy God. Now, sometimes we all think, and I've been guilty of this too, that somehow if our good works can outweigh our bad works, well, then at the end of the day, that's all that really matters to God. As the saying goes, C's get degrees. And so, if I'm good, like 70% of the time, then of course, I pass the test, I pass the course, and God will say, well, you could have done a little bit better down there, but you did get 70% right, so come on in, Uh, you're into heaven. Is that how that works? Well, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you'll know it because you'll start repenting of the good things that you do. You'll start to look at the good things that you do and you'll start to wonder, am I doing this for God's glory or for my own? I'm helping this person, but do I have a a, a little agenda that's beyond the needs of the person? Am I trying to make myself look good for other people? Am I hoping that someday they'll put my name on the side of a building? Am I being paternalistic? Am I kind of making myself feel better for doing these things? Maybe Just maybe the Holy Spirit is leaning on you because he wants you to do the right things for the right reasons. He wants you to do the things that you do, not for your own glory, but out of a sense of gratitude for the grace of God, which is given to us freely in Christ Jesus. When we fail to see the world from God's point of view, the Holy Spirit not only convicts us of sin, And not only convicts us of our righteousness, he convicts us concerning judgment. Now, this is probably the toughest of the convictions because it could refer to judgment day or the final judgment. But I did some research and I discovered that the same word that John uses here for judgment is also used in John 7, verse 24, where Jesus said, do not judge by appearances, but judge by right judgment. Now, we all tend to judge things according to human uh, perceptions and, and human uh, appearances. David was, of course, in our minds, too small to defeat Goliath. Isn't that what we think? That Elijah was just one man, there's hundreds of prophets of Baal, there's no way he'll ever defeat them. You need a, a much bigger, more powerful force in order to defeat the evil one. This church isn't strong enough to change the world or our community. We need politicians and programs and something other than Jesus and other than the Spirit to impact change. When people are big and God is small, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our flawed perceptions of the world. As Jesus reminds us in verse 11, the ruler of this world, Satan, is judged past tense it is a foregone conclusion in other words no matter what happens in the middle east no matter what happens in washington dc no matter what happens on wall street no matter what happens in hollywood jesus wins how much different would our lives be If we believe that, how much different would our lives be if we walked not according to our own perceptions, but under the conviction of the Holy Spirit? We can live that way. He gives us eyes to see the real world as it really is. He promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Third big question, last one, how do we receive him? Now, that's a big question, But there's a short answer, and it comes from Acts 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when we believe in Jesus We receive the gift of the Spirit when we repent of our sins, where we say, my life is headed in this direction, away from God, and I need to turn around so I'm facing the other direction and heading toward God. Our life changes when we receive him, not by achieving salvation, as if this were something that we could achieve on our own, but by receiving the salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Once you do that, you can be affirmed in yourself and in your own faith, and you can let the world know by being baptized. Now, I have some good news. It's good news to me. We're baptizing five people in the month of December, and there's always room for more. And so if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've not yet been baptized or you're considering the claims of Jesus or your soul is stirring within you, that is the Holy Spirit leading you to Christ, driving you to Christ, come to Him in faith. Repent, believe, be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Once you do that, we'll have one less caterpillar in here And one more butterfly. Amen? Amen. Let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We marvel at the thought that God is in us. I pray, Lord, that as we speak and act this very week, that we would speak and act your words I pray, Lord God, that you would use us in a mighty way in this community, Lord God. Use us as a mighty, in a mighty way in our families. Use us in a mighty way in our schools, and our workplaces, Lord God. May we walk by your Spirit, and may we change. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending the Spirit, Lord Jesus. We know the great pain and agony you experienced on the cross in order to give us this gift. We pray that we would never neglect it, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.